0: Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comic process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster, I write the comics Kadoja and Three Protectors, and I'm a managing partner at Invader Comics. And I'm Scott
1: Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers of Melisonda for The Accidental Aliens. You are that,
0: and you sound substantially better. So that's Yay. always nice. Nice yeah, to man. hear. Nice to hear. Yeah. Nice to see you don't you don't look like a person who has COVID anymore. So that's good. <laughs> uh, and of course, the question on everyone's minds is, what are you drinking, dude?
1: I'm excited about this one. So I picked this up from my last Trader Joe's run, and it is a peanut butter chocolate milk stout. And this is from Lost Coast Brewery, so um, sponsored by me, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and it is a 5.6 ABV, and it's a 12-ouncer. So, but I'm, I'm very excited about this because I really love Belching Beaver's peanut butter stout. Mm. So uh, I'm curious how this matches up, and uh, let's give it a go. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. I, I am Thank enjoying you. that. Um, I'm going to have to keep going to let you know how it matches up exactly with Belching Beaver. But yeah. first sip I'm going to have to I'm going to have to Drink at
0: least 20 of them
1: Yeah I mean <laughs> I had a, I had a feeling I'm a big peanut butter guy And um, I bought two of these Just based off of What type of beer it was Because there's yeah. not a lot Of peanut butter stouts around And yeah. uh, so I was like You know I'm just going to grab two Just to be safe I'm You know what Worst case scenario I won't like it as much As the Belching Beaver But I know I'm going to Still like it And I do It's, It's quite good
0: Yeah Yeah word up Alright so for me I, uh, we, we were a little late to record and that's because I sliced myself open because I have, well, not okay. A tiny little cut. It actually stopped bleeding in about two minutes, which is, which is nice. Scott has a stout. I'm having a stout. It rain, it's been raining and it's colder because the weather's finally changing here in California. We don't really have a winter. This is our winter. Our winter is like a cold Rainy fall spring day or a cold rainy spring day That's yeah. that's about how it works for us You know, like we're talking about 40 to 55 degrees and just rain And uh, so yeah, it's, it's stout season for sure And I am going with something that I have kept in the cellar for a little while So hopefully this is good and not bad It is barrel aged liquid cr- contrast by Revision Brewing Company in Sparks, Nevada and imperial stout aged in bourbon barrels hello for 16 months and conditioned on cacao and vanilla beans oh so i know what you're out there you out there are thinking you're thinking wait a minute if this was aged in bourbon barrels that means it's probably a pretty high power rating and those of you that, that said that you're right, motherfuckers. It is. So I am pouring. This is a big-ass bottle. I am not finishing this bottle. I am having half of it. That is 11 ounces, and this sucker is 15%. Oh, wow. <laughs> so explain to the audience how you s- slice your finger open. I slice my finger open because it's got this fancy boy wax on it, and, you know, a lot of these really nice bourbon barrel-aged um, beers, or, or even fancier beers, they come with, like, this wax seal. And I'm, I'm familiar enough with wax seals, but this was like a really thick wax seal. And so my stupid ass got a dull knife. Dull knives tend to be the problem when you cut yourself and was just hacking away at the wax seal, slipped a little bit and just leaned into my thumb pretty good. So uh, so, yeah. And then luckily, uh, my my wife and kid were able to coach me to smarter moves. And they did. And and everything, everything Rachel said worked. She was like, do this, do that. I was like, oh, hell yeah, man, this is all right. So uh, anyway, so all good. And uh, and yeah, the bleeding stopped after two minutes. And I'm going to give this a try while you tell me the first thing you did this week. Okay, let's let's look at the list of things that I've got. Um, Try to
1: figure out what the best thing was. That is Um, fucking tasty. Oh. Anything go. equivalent that you've
0: had before? Um, it reminds me a lot of the super high octane dessert y beers I get from the brewery down here near me, where they have all these wonky, you know, orchata stouts and cinnamon roll stouts, those kind of things. I think Gary Hodges had one last Christmas when we were talking about it, or right around there. So yeah, it's very sweet, very syrupy. And just a, a pastry stout. Uh, so, yeah, the chocolate and vanilla are a thing, and it's got that wonderful, wonderful bourbon barrel thing going on, too. So, super good. And this beer's for sipping, and I can take a while to do it.
1: Nice, man. And actually, that was yeah. me last year that had the pastry stouts. Um, oh, they were you Trader did? Trader Joe's. Yeah, man. They were really good. One was a, um, a chocolate babka, mm-hmm. and the other one was shit was it like a tiramisu or something like i remember that, that one yeah, yeah yeah that's
0: right you did that
1: you did that. yeah those were great and they're very inexpensive i think it was like a freaking 20 ounce or something and um it was four dollars three ninety nine yeah, yeah it was kind of ridiculous um yeah but um yeah i'm looking forward to those in the in the upcoming month so hopefully oh, yeah. they have something equivalent to if not the same exact ones like i enjoyed those so yeah. much i would just have them again it's not a big deal
0: especially especially for four bucks I am going through my cellar. That's what I'm going to be doing these next few weeks. Uh, hopefully, that's all it'll take because I want to go through my cellar, empty it out, and then stock it fresh. You know what there I mean? There you go. Like I've, yeah. had, I've had some of these things in the cellar for a goddamn two years. You know, so oh yeah, wow, this, this has aged very well.
1: Yeah, hopefully, I could take a trip up there on a Saturday or something, and maybe we can knock one back. Rock on, hey man! I'm a team player, Keith. I like I like to help you out. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay, so uh, first thing this week, I'm back on second shift 13. I think I mentioned that last week as well. But um, man, I'm I'm rejuvenated. So I was able to knock out a page, and it, it just felt great to do so. And it's just kind of a the way I laid this issue out. It's a bit different than all of my issues. It's kind of all over the place, like in the best possible way. I'm just trying different panel layouts, constructions, variations, um, just, I don't know, kind of like different formatting. Um, like I have a page that's a very image style page and I'm really enjoying just trying these different things out. Like it's a full body shot of, of this new character. And then to the right of that, it's a bunch of talking heads. And so the full-body image is enough for people to go, oh, hey, this is a cool-looking page. And, you know, there's some action and, you know, a couple of action panels, but mostly talking heads. So um, it was my way of making this more of an intriguing, you know, page to look at, as opposed to just bust shots, you know, at different angles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yes, yeah, so I was able to knock that out, and I started the next page as well. And uh, I'm staying on task. So I got my panel of the day done for today already. And so hopefully I'll be able to get... I don't know, 50% of the next panel done as well tonight um, after we get off the the horn here. So um, Second Shift 13 is moving. It is very fun. I sent all of the completed pages to Ed. So he, I think there were pages there that he hadn't seen quite yet. So he was excited to take a look at them and just kind of check out the energy and what I got going on on this issue. And he kind of understood why, um, you know, and I I had mentioned, uh, you know, my enthusiasm for drawtober this year it wasn't it wasn't the prestige that the last couple of years have been like that excitement that same energy and it was because you know for me personally i don't like being taken out of projects like when i'm in the midst of them it's really hard for me to switch gears and like thankfully i was able to for wanderers like i had fun with those images still but where my heart was I really wanted to get back to this issue and it was because I was already I think three three or four pages completed so it was just like hey man I'm I was kind of trying to get in the groove there and and I got taken out of it you know And, and luckily that grooviness rolled over into Wanderers and I was able to just continue and knock those pages out every day or those images out every day um but like getting back to this like it's it's taken me a little bit to get back into that groove it's just um you know, a lot more going on, like there's a lot of buildings, there's a lot of backgrounds, a lot of interior apartments. So it's just completely opposite of what I had been doing for the last month. And um, I'm there. I'm finally there. And I'm happy about that because it's a hard, a hard thing to get back into uh, wanting to draw backgrounds, buildings, you know, apartments and shit. So uh, I'm glad I'm there and things are moving along. And uh, yeah, so far, so good.
0: That's cool. The thing that I was wondering if you were going to give it some credit, I think it actually deserves some credit here, is COVID. Uh, Because when you're you're down with a flu, with COVID, with whatever, and you're sort of forced, you know, like I've always, I've often said that getting a cold or something like that is your body's way of saying, hey, 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 you need to slow down a little bit. So we're going to slow down. And then you have those couple days where you don't necessarily wake up saying, I don't know, I don't want to do anything, but you know when you're people like Scott and I I think you'll you'll constantly bump up against that you'll be like I probably should write or draw it an A today and you're and you're just like I don't fucking feel like it man you know yeah. you were talking about that last week and so what happens is you get that day you know after your little zero dark 30 period you get that day where you're ready to go back and you've now had a little layoff and you're back and it's fresh and you got a ton of energy because you've been storing up that energy and been unable to execute on it, because you've just been under the weather, man. It happens to everybody. So, um, I think I think that probably contributes a little bit too. You know, the fact that you you did I think second shift held a lot of your excitement through drawtober, and I think that's the one of the the biggest reason is that you were ready to just jump right on that because you were excited to get back to it, and then you add the fact that you sort of had to be forced to not work on it a few days and it's like yeah you know champing at the bit let's let's go and now you're back and it feels great and you know you're you're humming again
1: yeah yeah definitely i mean the when i had covid and and you know like i was talking about i was trying to work on things and things just weren't right like it just didn't feel right and i would stop pretty quickly and um you know like kind of getting back into the the groove I was like, no, you got to keep working on it. And like, okay, let's just find a page that is going to allow you to have that that ability to work through it, you know, not something too difficult, but, um, you know, enough, enough there to keep you entertained at least, but then enough easier panels that'll like kind of let you fly through them. And that's mm-hmm. what the talking head section of that page was doing. And uh, if anything, though, the thing that caught my eye was the full body image. I'm like... Let's make this kind of sexy, you know. It's like it's a new female character, and uh, it's like, hey, I want to get some nerds' attention on this. And like, I know, <laughs> I know what I liked when I was a kid, when, or when I was, you know, like discovering new books, and like a teenager and early twenties, even. Like, it, it was just like, yeah, I loved, I loved books that had, you know, some good looking chicks in it, and and uh, hey, I'll pass With that completely down. unreal anatomy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, man, it was fun to do, and and just. Kind of different, like I don't really do TNA style stuff, and not to say that this image is a TNA, but it's it's provocative. It's a provocative image, um, but it's still very like PG thirteen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I sure. I don't do anything um, you know not safe for work or anything like that, but just enough. You know, like there's comics yeah. when you're reading them growing up, X Men and you know uh, Wildcats Gen thirteen. Like you'll get some a little bit of TNA, but nothing crazy, and it's just enough to spark your imagination and go like, man, that's a, that's a, that's a hot cartoon chick, you know? And, uh, so that's what this page was. And I was just like, Hey, like, this is fun. You know, I never do anything like this. And, and like, it doesn't feel right with my two main characters because they're just, I don't know, so much a part of me that it's weird to put them in those situations. And, and, uh, but this new character, like, she's kind of like that. So it's just like, Hey, this works out. And, and like, I could kind of do this guilt free And, um, so that was the thing that caught my attention first and I was working on the most. And then once I knocked that out, I was ready to just finish all those talking heads. And and that went Mm -hmm. relatively quickly, quickly, like the full body image took the majority, the lion's share of the time to do that page. And then once I finished that, like everything else just kind of flew.
0: Mm -hmm. Nice. Nice. So I get the feeling you have a few things this week. Mm -hmm. I really only have one thing. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to break it up into two separate um, subcomponents, and that way I can talk it a little bit, and then we can go back to you, and then I can talk a little bit more, and then go back to you, and kind of round out this section, because for me, the the main thing I did was just Novel November. That's all it's been. I mean i I have not been thinking much about the comic properties. I mean nothing nothing that I that's new based on what we said last week. I think the new interesting stuff to talk about all happens in Novel November. So when we last recorded this, Novel November was just starting. I was maybe a day in. And now I'm, you know, a a week-ish in. The first thing I want to talk about is just this idea, which I think may have touched on last time, of writing as exploration. Because that's what this has been. When I look back to my first novel, the first draft went pretty easy and one of the reasons it went pretty easy is because i had a good idea of the plot so all it was really about was getting the characters along the plot line that i had sort of drawn as a through line from beginning to end way easier to write but i paid for it later because I focused on plot at the expense of character and ended up burning, you know, a a draft or two as I then spun up the character quality to match the plot quality, in my opinion. Right. So that was kind of the issue with the first novel. But the good news is the first draft went great. I paid for it later, but it went great. And here the first draft is going thick. I, I may have even mentioned it as molasses. How it's been going. Is that when I go to bed at night, I think to myself, Oh man, why why are you why are you why are you making me edit shit? Really? Sorry. Why are you making me edit shit? Why are you making me edit shit? Yeah. yeah you thinking yeah. So-, <laughs> so Yeah, I'm gonna have to really put some beeps in. Um I I think to myself, what the fuck are you writing tomorrow? Because I don't know. Like, this is true writing is exploration, and then I'll think of a germ and I'll be like, okay, it may not be the best idea or the most robust idea, but this is writing as discovery, so start with that and then just keep on writing. And for the first five days, I think it worked really well. By that, I mean that when I got to the end of the day, I, I thought back on the words that I had just written and I said, hey, I learned something today about my novel. I learned about the characters. I learned this because I wrote it as it happened, based on what I think the characters are going to do, let the characters guide the ship. And at the end of the session, it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, I learned something. And now we know a a loose direction of where this is going. That sort of seat of the pants thing can be fun when you finish, you know, your pages and get to a certain place. But a a weird thing happened a couple days ago. And that was... At the end of my last session, I had said, "Okay, you're going to write these two scenes." And then I woke up the next day and I was like, "Okay, you should write this scene." Slight problem. I don't know the fucking mechanism, right? So, so this uh, uh, let me let me explain. This is not a sci-fi book, but to know me is to know I don't give exact examples from my shit. So let's just assume this is a sci-fi book. I. Wanted to write a scene that leaned Heavily on sci-fi elements in the book Except I don't know what the rules Of sci-fi in my own book are mm. So again you you need to swap out Sci-fi for the thing that I am actually writing This novel in but you get the point right Like you can since it's Fiction you can make your Own rules here and You you need to set up The Environmental rules that apply to your Genre and so like I, I was at, Exactly. Exactly. So I was at the point where I wanted to write this scene, but the problem was I didn't know enough about the mechanisms to make it work. So I actually took, I think, a day, maybe two. I took one day where all I did was think. And what I could have done is I could have just said, no, Keith, you got to write a thousand words today. And so I got to the point where I was like, I can write a thousand words today. I'm not worried about that. I could I could spit out a thousand words on this. The issue is I'm not sure a single one of them will be used. Hmm. So why am I here? Am I here to write a novel or am I here to check a box on a daily exercise and feel good about myself? The answer is the first thing. I am here to write a novel. I'm not here to check a box and be proud of myself that I wrote a thousand words I don't need in the book for Novel November. So I just thought and I, I walked around and hacked out stuff and was like, okay, that makes sense. The next day. I then did writing that wasn't necessarily scene work. I just sort of wrote a thousand words, but it was about the rules themselves, basically behind the scenes stuff to help me understand how it goes. And the way that I did it, this can be different for a whole bunch of people, is it was a Q&A. I would ask a question of the thing. Write the answer, and then that would bring on another question. And then I'd write, So, what does that mean for this? And then I'd write the answer, Okay, well, because of that, there's this. What about that? Blah, blah, blah. So, it ended up being a nice, you know, loose background writer's Bible sort of thing that really helped me gain focus. And I did it again for something else today. And I think based on this couple days of work, I'm actually ready to get back in there and write the scene now. So, it served its purpose. I did end up, I think I did zero words on one day, a little over a thousand another day, and some, something like 650 today. But it's all I needed, and that's the part that matters, you know, so... You know, Novel November is more of an idea than it is about me wanting to walk away with a finished novel or part of a novel or word for word, you know, the exact number of words, a thousand words a day. What? 30,000 words. I don't need 30,000 words. If I get 20,000 words or 24,000 words and they matter, I'd much rather have that than 30,000 words. So... Yeah, the process tomorrow will continue to be, you know, hacking through the forest in the dark, because I just have no idea what it's going to be. But again, that's part of the fun. You write his exploration. I'm going to finish, you know, I'm going to call my first draft basically, when I say I'm done with my first draft down the road, it's going to be because I actually did a couple passes of the draft. Not because I just barfed out something and then was like, yay, this is my first draft. Like, it needs to be better than that. So at the end of this pass where I'm writing as Discovery, I'm going to do some more things and I'm going to do some more things. And then that'll be, quote, the end of my first draft. You know, it's a couple drafts in one. So anyway, Thanks, it's, it's yeah. been fun. Yeah,
1: that's a, that's a great way to use these these yearly projects that we do. And, you know, like my yearly drawtober thing this year was different. You know, it wasn't a full story. It was. Um, nine pages, nine pages worth of a story, and like the two previous years it was full full issues. But we do these things as a way to push ourselves further. You know, like in a short period of time, it doesn't need to be completed. And like you said, you can barf out a thousand words, but if you're not going to really use it at the end, everything's going to get cut. What's the point? So that's great that you decide to use that just to think and kind of create those boundaries and the rules of this world. And uh, that's really important. It's really important to find those guidelines and you distinguish them right away so that way moving forward it's just easier for you to write. It's not like you trying to write on the fly. And yeah. like I get I have that problem when I'm doing characters. Like sometimes I'll create characters on the fly and like I'll go to draw them again and they're they're different. There's certain things about them that aren't the same. It's just like, "Oh yeah, because this character isn't clearly defined in my mind cuz I drew him for the first time on the two pages ago so it's it's a you know it's great to have those boundaries and those rules set and then move forward and it just makes your life so much easier so like you know for the artists out there the example of that would be create your character sheets you know, mm-hmm. if you if you're doing a character, do a turnaround of the character or a three quarter shot, whatever makes it easiest for you for you. Um, I do that. I have one full bodied image, and then I do a bunch of headshots next to it with different expressions of that character and at different angles. You know, make sure you have their nose down, their eyes down, their hair. Um, so that way, it'll help you moving forward when you're drawing this character
0: in your book. So hell yeah, exactly. You're co opting James Brown. Get ready for the turnaround told you so right so scott told you so get ready for the turnaround that's right uh so what was your second thing man
1: um i'll, I'll combine these two since you only have one more really because i have three total but I'll, I'll put these two together and then i'll have one more right after your last one yes um yes, so these are both to do with commission work so i'm on the commission bend like i was during covid you know i the rule for me was Uh, One for them, one for me. So I start my day off, I work on my client's commission, whatever that may be. So I heard back from Commissioner Gordon, uh, the mermaid commission is approved. He liked all of the changes that I made that he requested. So I knocked those out and uh, he said, okay, it's ready to be inked. So I have to convert that to blue line and then I'm gonna take it down to the local Staples or Office Depot, whatever it is, get that printed out and start the inking process. And then uh, a second commission that I had, this one I've actually been putting on the back burner for over a month and I feel really bad because honestly, it's not that much work. I'm two hours in, I'm basically 90% done with it, 95% done with it, and um, he's happy. He's, he's an easy client, I've worked with him before, and um, I don't know why. I don't know why I was putting it off for so long. Like He knew I had Drawtober, so he was cool with chilling out. And um, he hit me up two days ago and was just like, hey, uh, we're out of October now. Just wondering how things are going, if I'm going to see something soon. And uh, I was like, I'm going to get you something by the end of the day. And so I was able to do the majority of the work at that time. I sent it to him. He said, looks great. Great start. Um, Keep going. And um, yeah, so we're there pretty much. And so I just got to do one more thing, kind of do the he wanted this particular font so i have to download that and then just kind of put the words on there and arrange it the way i see fit and then hopefully that'll work for him and that'll be done
0: hell yeah that's great that's great commissions commissions man that's always always good to see the progress and always good to hear about the progress
1: yeah and definitely with uh, the holidays coming up the extra money definitely
0: helps hell yeah so my second thing back to the novel I wanted to just bring up this aspect because, again, for me, what I try to think about is what aspect is interesting to talk about on the podcast of the work I did. Right. So the scene that I was just talking about writing, I think I think it's interesting to talk about where that scene is, because without I mean, this is giving nothing away. Right. I am stepping up the degree of difficulty for this novel. It is it is going to be three, if not four POVs. The last novel was single POV. This one's four. So that's going to come with a lot more work. But again, I'm, I'm here to challenge myself. So it's all good. So for for this one POV that's in the novel, the thing that led to this scene is that I wrote, I basically wrote a scene for this character and I already know what I'm building toward. I'm building toward something pretty substantial. And what I realized is the best thing for me to write right now is for me to jump ahead with the character and write the big scene that that this character is building toward, and then worry about filling in the gaps later. So in a way, you can make the case that I am doing the Scott Lost Advanced Comics method, but for writing. So I'm going to call it the, the SLAW novel, right? SLAW is the <laughs> Scott Lost Advanced Writing method, um, if, if, if you are so inclined. But I think that's helpful, you know, like there's this gag, my my buddy Albert Wynn told me about it, because we're both Simpsons fans, I think like a lot of people are, at least the first, what, eight seasons, and I guess there was a little, like everything, there's all these little one-offs in The Simpsons that made it so great way back in the day, and at one point there was a mystery novel writer, and one person said, yeah, how do you go about writing a mystery novel anyway, and the person's like, well, I start at the end and write backward, and and like Albert was talking about, like, that is such a reductive, simple thing, but it's like it's dead to hell on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So in, in a lot of ways, this invokes that, you know, what I what I need to see is I need to see I need to create the big thing that this is building toward. And then I can go back and fill in the gaps because I'll have knowledge of the big thing because I've now seen it in scene as I have written it. So I just thought that was interesting that the way that I kind of naturally evolved to that point in the novel was this idea of like, no, 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 I got to see this. Like, this is super important. And this is what all the research is going into. It goes into the mechanism. Because otherwise, if I do it the other way, I might be fumbling around for the mechanism. Had I not done this writing the last couple days, I might be making up shit as I go. It might be inconsistent. We wouldn't want that. And or I might know what the fuck, you know, I, I might not know what I'm doing. And then you get to the big scene and you realize that you're wobbling all over the place and you're just going to have to harmonize it anyway. So this serves as a nice way of harmonizing that. I think it's a pretty cool scene. I've had a lot of fun with that. Now's a good time to kind of do a 2A and a 2B. The massive amount of research continues because I need to do it. I absolutely have to do it to really understand, you know, stuff that's going on in this book. So the research has been fun and it continues to be fun and most importantly, as I think mentioned last week, it is informing the novel big time. I am doing research as I need to. I'm not sitting back and doing research. It's more like, oh, I need to figure this certain thing out. Let me research it. And then you do that and you have a good time. And then you can, you're you like, wait a minute. Why do I have four books in my cart? How did I get here? And then you don't buy those four books. Or maybe you do. I don't know. I haven't. But it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where research can get carried away. Because you're like, that sounds cool. That sounds cool. And you end up buying... Well, I almost bought four books, knowing that there was probably like seven pages in each book that I really, really wanted, you know, so I passed on it and I'll just figure it out from there. But anyway, so I, I like that. I, I That's that's what's so fun about this particular first draft with comics and with writing. No one is forcing you to be linear about it. You can write whatever scene you want. Write whatever scene you want. And then figure it out later, you know, and again, in a way, this is kind of like, you know, very slack, right? It's the I need to write this scene. I want to write this scene. It's a super interesting scene. And then I can worry about filling those other scenes in later that build up to this scene once I'm informed and once I have a little bit more energy to do it, because this is the one I really, really want to do in addition to needing to do.
1: Yeah, I have a I have a I mentioned it on the air before I have a notes folder um, and I have a file that's just random scenes that I think of. And it's like, oh, I have to write this whole thing out or else, number one, I'm going to forget it all. So it's a little different yeah. because you're in the midst of that project. Um, but I have had a couple of things where I was like, I'm going to do that next book, but I need to write it out because it will all go away. You know, it's just like my memory sucks. So yeah. it, it's it's cool to get that shit down on paper when you're thinking about it. And like especially helps that you're in the project. So you're just working a little ahead. And, you know, like the Simpsons say, it informs a lot, you know, like knowing towards the end or the ending itself, it definitely helps to write to get you there. Yep. Um, My initial thought with Wanderers, like the initial story that I thought of was the ending. Like I knew the beginning and I knew what the ending was. And so it was like, all I got to do is get there. You know, I just got to have them go on this journey to get to where the ending is. And so um, the story was a little different than it is now. And so I think that's a, overall larger project so I have to think of a different ending for the short term um but yeah man like uh, like I like that I like your the slaw method there is is awesome and yeah. um yeah it makes sense I actually have a question though about something you said previously so you said in the first novel it was so story driven and uh less character driven and it mm-hmm. got you into problems so how would one go about avoiding that like so what's I mean the way you did it sounds right to me. It's just like, well, you wrote the skeleton of where the story's supposed to go, and then you put character
0: work in there as you go. So yeah. how how else would you do that? that I mean, that's a great question. I, I sort of have a two-pronged answer. The first answer is some things you just have to learn by experience. I, when I was writing the first novel, I thought that was the legit way to go, and I think that makes sense. But now that I'm on a second novel... Current me realizes that you know it, talking to to uninformed me back in the day probably would have saved a little bit of pain, and that's the kind of stuff we talk about. You know, I, the second angle to this that I'm going to mention is um, for those of you that follow uh, Gary's uh, YouTube channel, the the Home Stretch, I believe it's called, right? The the Home Stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk about this on the last, on, I think it's like episode nine of the Home Stretch. I talk about this a little bit, and it is because he asked. Now that you finish the novel, so I'm just going to repeat it here, now that you've finished the novel, like what what advice would you give your past self or what has been your biggest learning from the novel? And I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. It's the idea that in writing there are three areas that writers can be good at. There's three elements to any novel. There's plot, there's voice, and there's character. Comics don't really have voice. They do sometimes, but there's it's not a requirement. But plot, voice, and character are the thing. And again, to co-op my teacher, everybody's naturally good at one of those things. Rare people are good at two of them. Nobody is good at all three naturally. Everybody has a weakness.
1: Hmm.
0: And I know plenty of writers who plot is their weakness. They write amazing characters and their voice is incredible. But then you get through the end of the book and it's like, you know, like I've had plenty of people I know continually rewrite their book because they hate the plot. And I'm sitting there going like, dude, this would get published tomorrow. Why aren't you like, like wrapping this up? And it's like, they hate the plot and they know they have to work on it. So the advice that I would give, and, and this is sort of this reaction, right? Every, every piece of work is a reaction in a way to the work that has come before it. The best way I can think of to avoid it, Scott, to answer your question is work on the thing you're worst at in the moment. Like, do not, do not wait to work on the thing you're worst at when i did the first novel i had no idea that i was that bad at it you know i was just like no no no, this makes sense follow it along on the plot and whatever but now this keith realizes that you have to follow it on the plot but you have to make the following of the plot be an extension of a believable extension of what the characters want oh okay the reason you need to work on the thing that you're weakest at this this needs to be an honest self-assessment Is that if you don't work on the thing you're weakest at and you instead work on the things you're strongest at, that gap that already exists is just going to widen and widen and widen. And all of a sudden, all your notes are going to reflect the thing you're weak at. So with me, again, the infamous No Vaseline uh, review, right, The, the read, I don't empathize with your character. I do not care. That is what he said. I don't care what happens to your lead character. So that's what happens. That's the gap that slowly goes through drafts and drafts and drafts if you don't address it. And then you find yourself in this spot where you got pretty decent voice and you have a nice plot, but nobody gives a fuck about your characters. And the reason that I took that note is because it dovetailed nicely with things that other people had said in much nicer wording. (laughs) Right. So (laughs) that's one of those things of like, okay, yeah, this is the note I really, really need to work on my character. And it's always been the thing that I'm weakest at. So I hope that makes sense, that that's what you want to do, right? You want to get to that. The example I'm going to give, this is my standard example for how you got to make sure that you're not just serving plot and you're serving characters. First Pacific Rim movie. I'm a huge fan of the first Pacific Rim movie, okay? But that doesn't mean the character development's good, okay? Pacific Rim's amazing. I will swear by it. But there's a scene. And the scene is when Stacker Pentecost, a.k.a. uh, Idris Elba, goes to see, what is his name? Raleigh. Raleigh, um, who's the dude from Sons of Anarchy, whatever his name is, right? And uh, he goes to see him, and he's trying to convince him to pilot a Jaeger again. And Raleigh then says, man, I don't know, you know, like, my brother died in there. Uh, You know, like, it makes me not want to pilot a Jaeger or something like that. So that exact moment would have been a great moment for some interesting character development, right? A nice, cool interchange that could have led him to wanting to do it again. Instead, the movie basically had Idris Elba say, how do you wish to die? Here or in a (laughs) Jaeger? Right? (laughs) That has become a family joke. In terms of just like it's it's the old Dave Chappelle wrap it up B we got to get to the next scene you know that's right right you, right you definitely felt like the scene light was going on there and like guys we got to get the fuck onto this next scene man we got budget to spend. And, and that's why I use it as the stand in for like plot instead of character development. Right. The plot demanded that we get Raleigh and a Jaeger, but we didn't worry about too much character development in that exact moment to actually make it happen. So, yeah, again, makes much love, fun. much love for Pacific Rim. I'm just talking about this one scene.
1: Yeah, that that definitely makes sense to me. And it, it's much like like doing the turnarounds and you doing the rules of the world, It's like you need to find out who these characters are before you start writing them, especially if you're going to go from four viewpoints, you said, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a lot of people that you have to lock down before you start writing them, because once you figure out the parameters of those characters, their personalities, their quirks, their likes, dislikes, all of those things, then it's going to be so much easier for you to write them and not have to do so much adjusting within the story uh, while you're writing the book, because once you figure out who they are, then then most of that work is done. And, yep. and then you get to watch them move around in those scenes and and react how that character would react.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So again, and, and and I still have things to learn about all the characters, of course, but at least I feel like I have their essences right, and that is much further along than I was when I did the first draft of my first novel. So, uh,
1: did you have anything else? Yeah, I got one more. It's super small. Um, so, a while back, and, and I've mentioned this many a times on the air, uh, there's a side story that I've been wanting to do, and I'm going to tackle it in 2000. Um, 23 uh, at the beginning of the year and I had someone working on a 3D image of one of the characters in that story um, it is it's a monster and um, it's one of the main characters so I had a buddy we worked out a deal he had my Disney Plus password and mm. has been using it for a few years now and yeah. in in turn he was going to design me this 3D image of this character. Yep. So, when he sh- he sent me some screenshots a while back, and he got really busy, he goes, "Hey, look, I'm not going to be work work on this for like a month or so. I'm really busy with work, yada yada." I said, "Okay, no problem." And he kind of forgot about it. I hit him up maybe about a month ago at this point and he goes dude I don't do 3D anymore he goes I literally got rid of all the programs it was stressing me out I was I was like getting depressed because he is a person that gets obsessed with detail so it mm-hmm. has to be right he, if it's if anything's slightly off he he will obsess over it until it's correct so he got out of the field unfortunately and um but he did send me the file and we were talking about it we were hanging out and he was I was just like yeah man like I honestly I thought you were close to done like the screenshots you sent me it looked pretty good and I thought oh he's he's like 90% there he just has to do a little bit more and he's done he goes oh that's so funny because my brain was like this is like 45% done
0: Hmm. And,
1: and I was just like dude you're that's wild like I told you, I'm like, it doesn't even need to have so much detail. Like it's just right. a basic shape. And if you want it, I was like, look, if you wanted to put textures, you could, if you didn't, I was cool with that too. If you wanted it to be baby smooth, I was fine with it. Just as long as it looked like the image or the the creature, you know? And um, so anyway, I got the, the file from him. You gave me the name of the guy that did your work, uh, your yeah. 3D work on Kadoja. And I was just like, yeah, it looks good. So, I actually shot him a message right before this podcast and Mm -hmm. was just like, hey, man, got got your info from Keith. You know, I really love the work you did, etc. This thing is 75% done, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, can I send it to you? See if it's something you might be interested in completing. Just... Take a look. If you are interested, let me know your fees, et cetera. So just waiting to hear back from him. Cool. And uh, yeah, hopefully that goes well. And, and uh, you know, he's interested in at least taking a look at it. And then when he does that, hopefully he doesn't want an insane amount of money. And uh, since most yeah. of the work's done, just need him to, f- you know, finalize it and all that and then go from there. So fingers crossed. He says yes. And uh, we get that
0: rolling. I'm going to harken this back to something we talked about a long time ago when we talked about networking. Because these last two episodes are a great example of networking. Scott has basically contacted two people that are part of my production network in one way or another. Right. Mike, my my co-partner at Invader Comics and this guy who makes the 3D figures. And that's what this is all about, man. You know, like and, you know, you 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 get into the game. And you again, all this started because we got randomly placed next to each other all those years ago. And mm-hmm. then all these things build and we all develop our contacts. And I'm sure there'll be a time in the future. In fact, there's already been times you've hit, hit me up to multiple printers of, of multiple things. And I have used them for work. Yeah. So, again, all Cover this artists. stuff. Exactly. All this stuff comes together, man. So and I think in a way that brings us to this week's episode. So this week's episode is the second episode whose main topic is coming from Daniel Sawyer. And I'm going to read Daniel's note to us, and then we're going to talk about it. So his, uh, his request for an episode was something called Comic Convention 101, which more likely than not is going to be the title of this episode. Um, so he puts Comic Convention 101. As far as I'm concerned, this could be five episodes. Tell me everything I need to know about getting a table at a convention. What do I need to bring? What's something you forgot to bring that you wish you had? What can I expect? So let's try to tackle all, five, all four of those. This is like Monty Python, right? One, two, five. Um, let's, <laughs> let's try to tackle all four of those questions and see how long it takes us. So I'm gonna field the first one. Tell me everything I need to know about getting a table at a convention. Getting a table at a convention, actually getting one, may be difficult. But getting on the wait list or contacting people for a convention. Oh, by the way, thank you for the question. Right. Like, again, that's that's two episodes, man. So hopefully one of us will run into you at a convention and we can thank you. And uh, and Scott can draw you a sketch and I'll write you some free form haiku. (laughs) (laughs) So so anyway, um, so tell me everything I need to know about getting a table at a convention. So in terms of getting a table, it's pretty easy at least getting your name in the running for a table at a convention is easy. Find a convention you like. Find their website. Look for the thing that says exhibitors and then follow whatever instructions they are. Some people like forms. So you might go to some conventions, like for example, San Diego Comic-Con. They have a form where you fill out and it auto-fills and then you just submit because you're just filling out fields one after another and then they'll get that. Other people uh, have a contact email and you just say, hey, you know, I'm interested in tabling at your convention. Let me know what I need to do and they'll get back to you. These people that are the emails, these people that have the emails, they're in the business of selling tables at conventions. It's what they do. So they're probably going to get back to you pretty soon. Um, yeah,
1: there's OK. So a lot of the bigger conventions, uh, Daniel, I'm sorry, I don't know what state you're in and, uh, you know, city, et cetera. So a lot of the bigger conventions, they like you to apply for the next year's convention at that convention. So if you are going to a convention that's on the bigger side, you're attending it as a fan, uh, professional, whatever, and you want to try to get a table. During that show, make your way up to the Information Center uh, you know, and and find out there, hey, do you guys have an application for next year? Because a lot of them prefer that. They want you to do that. San Diego specifically, WonderCon, um, they definitely want you to sign up for the next year at that show. I think even Phoenix Fan Fusion, they encourage you. Oh, no, no. They actually said, uh, we're going to send an email out, right? Th- yeah, this I time mean, diff-
0: different ones are different. But again, I think that's for vendors that are already there but I, I think your your message still holds for people that want to vend and are looking no, totally to, you know, like- to, to use our phrase right you're looking to move from one side of the table to the other
1: yeah. Yeah, and they, and they want you like if you're not even working the show, they want you to sign up for next year's that that year. Like San Diego is definitely that way. If you want to get into Artist Alley, like if you're if you're the artist on your project and you want to try to get into Artist Alley somewhere, it's definitely beneficial for you to hit them up during that show. Go to the information center, say, "Hey, I was I was curious about next year's, how do I sign up?" Uh, another way, if you if you are at a show. This is this is just one method. If the show is going on, it's the first day, second day, go to them and say, hey, do you guys have any openings? Did anyone drop off? Mm -hmm. This helps a lot. Like, there's a lot of shows where there's empty tables. Like, you'll walk around and go like, man, there's a lot of empty tables here. Guess what? You can more than likely get in on one of those tables. You just have to make sure you have a um, seller's permit, which does not take long to get. So, if you want to do kind of like a preemptive thing, because if it's on the weekend, you're screwed because they're closed. But, if you do it You know, prior to that, you're going to be fine. You'll be able to put something together. And if even on the website, I think you might be able to get it through just generates on on its own somehow.
0: Perfect. That's that is what I was going to say, that they may not grant a seller's permit. But what the comic convention cares about in terms of this seller's permit, right? What's at stake? Taxes. That's what's at stake. Easily, by the way, there is a reason I think I've talked about this before. We've we will we have never done and will never do an episode on seller's permits and taxes because no one would listen to that episode. <laughs> and I fucking hate it. Yes, <laughs> right? it's very so annoying. All, it's, it's, it is by far the worst part of being an artist or a writer in Artist Alley or a vendor at conventions, just going through all of this tax stuff. But why do they want to do it? They want to make sure that the state or the city or whoever knows that you're there for tax purposes. So a lot of times... Let's say you walk up to this booth and you say you got any booths and they're like, yeah, we do. But you need a seller's permit. You're like, well, what if I applied for a seller's permit with the state right now? The website's open 100 percent of the time. And then they might be like, sure, yeah, that's fine, because we we know that you've applied for it. So you can show them your application and then like the state will give you that, you know, permit on Monday, you know, once it comes to it.
1: Yeah. So make sure that's that's another thing that a lot of people don't think about. That's something you need in a lot of these conventions. I think with some of the smaller conventions, they try to get away with not doing one or you mm-hmm. do one on the spot or something like that. But uh, it's definitely something you're going to need to do. So, uh, yeah, next time you're attending a show and you have your book there. And you want to try to hop in, you might be able to get in. You know, WonderCon, I think this last year had a lot of empty tables. I know San Diego did. And Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's that's an easy way to get in. It's like a kind of a sneaky way. And um, but hey, it works. So but yeah, Yeah. like Keith said, all you have to do is apply, Uh, you know, get the contact information off of the website, whether it be the email or just filling out the application on the website itself. So uh, that's number one.
0: Yeah, I would even go further than that, by the way, and say that there's, number one, there's empty tables at every single convention. There's never a convention that doesn't have empty tables. People always back out at the last minute for something. Somebody has to back out of a convention at the last minute every single time. But I was going to mention one other thing. Let's say you don't want to go for a big convention to start. Look for regional conventions. Look for local conventions. But I would give the caveat that regional and local conventions as an artist comic writer you know uh, artist writer etc they're gonna work better if you have a more mainstream accessible kind of property so personally I cannot do local conventions because giant monsters and kung fu in space even when combined are not enough for me to function well at smaller shows because what happens at smaller shows unless they're like niche shows like horror or manga Or giant robots or or whatever, right? They tend to be more mainstream. So superheroes and superhero type things, fantasy, whatever, those are the things that are going to fly very well at small shows. Like again, I can't do small shows because my properties do not align well with the clientele at small shows. I need a big show because I need the people that are going through the door that are a little more predisposed to my stuff. And again, I've just, I've proven this time and time again by doing some smaller shows and having it not go very well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so, okay, let's, let's move on to the second question. What do I need to bring? So, okay. So, Hey, congratulations. You've got a table at a show and now you're getting ready to go there on day one.
1: All right. So we already talked about the first thing, seller's permit. Uh, The next thing is you're going to want to cover uh, your bases as far as eye eye line for your tables, like for for your product. So if you have multiple things, let's say you have prints, you have books, um, you have portfolios with original art from your book or just original art you're trying to sell, like whatever the case is, there are a few different types of fans out there. There are people that like to have a conversation and talk and have eye contact. And then there's fans that just like to look down. They don't really want you to engage with them too much because they're introverts. And so those are the type of people, the introverts that are looking down, they're going to see your books if they're flat. Now, you're gonna have those ones that are just kind of normal people and they go. They could do whatever, they could look wherever. So you're gonna need the, the flat, and then you need the book stand. So the book stand will help if they're looking forward, looking down, but you know, somewhat up, you're getting two different eye lines uh, there. And then I also use like metal tower grids myself. This is just my, my setup. Um, and I'll have those stacked, you know, relatively high. So people that like to look up, you know, like they'll be able to um, see your prints from a distance And it'll draw them to potentially draw them to your table. Like, if your art is good and it's something that they like to look at, they're gonna move towards you. Um, So, yeah, make sure you have your uh, line of sight covered on your tables. Get flat, get mid, get tall. And, uh, you know, have a pop up banner, have something behind you, uh, a giant image from your book is very helpful. Make sure the colors pop. Maybe Make sure the, the image is exciting. And it'll make them want to stop at your table and go, oh, this this giant image looks really cool. What do they have for sale? And then that way they'll stop and check out your product. And, and uh, those are just a couple of things right there.
0: Hell yeah. So I'm going to build on what Scott said because I was scribbling stuff down as he was talking. So the first one I'm going to mention, What okay, what do I need to bring? So let's go in. God, I can't even figure out what the fuck that says. Oh, okay, I figured it out. Jesus, man, my handwriting sucks. So uh, (laughs) here are some things I think are essential for you to to bring. A Square reader. Okay, you're going to need that. You can get them free from Square. Like Square wants you to sign up with them. So what you can do is if you've never taken Square payments before, sign up for it. People pay by credit card. Easily half of my sales, if not more, by credit card. So that's what you're going to need. Square, what Square does is they get you all set up. They even send you a free reader if you have the time because you need to figure it out way in advance because they'll take like four or five weeks to send it to you. And the advantage to them is when anytime you swipe a card, you don't pay a fee up front, but you pay a fee every time you swipe a card with them. So... That is super important, right? So get a Square Reader, set up a Square account. That's something you need to know.
1: Do it Um, now. You know, like you don't have anything lined up. Do it now. So you just have it on hand.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, seriously, pause the podcast and get that started. And then you can come right back. And Scott and I are just going to be right here. I'm going to be every bit as buzzed as I am right now. (laughs) And now you're back.
1: Peanut butter beer is delicious, by the way. I'm really enjoying it. It's a little bit lighter. Than the uh, belching beaver,
0: yeah, but kind of perfect. It's like, hey, it's a stout, but it's not overly thick. I'm really enjoying and it. And that's the nice thing about stouts, you know, like for in my experience with stouts, when you get like these five to eight percent stouts, they are super flavorful. They're not that heavy in alcohol compared to other things, but they are very flavorful. Now, when you get into the fucking leviathan ass depths that I'm in right now. <laughs> I mean, I had some nice flavor and I'm feeling real good. So, hey, you've probably come back by now. You've ordered that square reader. I'm just as buzzed as I was. See, isn't that the miracle of technology? (laughs) It's great. So a couple other things I wrote down here. Cash. I was going to put especially singles, but I would say know your books, know your price points and stock cash accordingly. Pick a
1: amount for your product. That gives you the least amount of hassle as possible. Mm-hmm. So we're on the indies. And honestly, Marvel and DC are charging $5 a book now. They yep. are charging four ninety nine for their product. So it's okay that your cover price for your single comic book is $5. So don't yep. feel bad about that. Have nice, even numbers, uh, even bill yep. numbers, I should say. $5 is an even number. But, you know, people have $5 bills. They have $10 bills. You know, mm-hmm. like a lot of my books three ninety nine, So they're $4, you know, so I have to make sure I have ones in stock. Every time yep. someone buys a single comic book, I have to make sure that they're going to have a dollar back and change. And yep. so make sure your price product, your product prices are those, you know, one, five, 10, 20. Twenty-five, You know, it, it just makes things so much easier for you. you don't have to. Obviously, you, you might have things at your table that aren't those amounts. And it's just like, yeah, this is a dollar. But um, that's OK. But make sure, like Keith said, make sure you have cash on hand. I usually do about seventy five to one hundred in mixed bills.
0: Hmm. Yeah, for me, I start much lower. And to Scott's point, when I was just doing singles, I am also a four dollar price point kind of guy. But now that I'm at trade paperbacks, that I'm at music, that I'm at other stuff, it all tends to be the 5, 10, 15 denominations. And therefore, I don't really need ones. I do still sell a few singles and I still honor that old $4 price. So yeah, a few singles are of the order for me. But in general, I don't need that many. Back in the day, I needed way more. So that that was another thing. Refreshments, super important. Bring water, bring, if you like soda, do it. Bring beer like your boy Scott and I do whatever you want, <laughs> because again, like, look, we're we're not going to guarantee this, but when it comes to vendors, you're going to go through security. They're going to check your shit. They don't care what you bring, man. You know, like, again, Scott and I put beers in almost in, in our bag almost all the time, except wait a minute, though. Why would we dare put beers in our shit in a show where they don't let you drink beers at tables? yeah anyway okay so yeah refreshments are important snacks are important odds are odds are you are going to stand at your table all day um and that's going to lead into something we talk about a little bit later uh the the fourth thing out of five hand sanitizer hey this isn't a covid thing okay this is a con crud kind of thing Mm -hmm. because the con crud is real so bring hand sanitizer and bring wipes, because if people are buying shit on Square, guess what? They're touching your phone. So I make a habit, because they're signing their name on your phone when you run that Square shit through. So hey, bring some wipes. Wipe down your phone after every transaction. It's still going to take you multiple shows to go through a, uh, a single little 75 pack of wipes. Um, also, Sharpies sharpies are very important
1: a lot of the times they want you to sign your book so you know make sure you bring sharpies it's just great um to always have more than one on hand because you never know if one's going to run out it happens all the time like you bring a sharpie you think it's good after a couple signatures the thing's dead so make sure you bring like you know three to four just to be safe
0: yeah and Um, if you want to go next level um something to play with i'd say start with the sharpies and see how you like it i got bummed out with sharpies losing their ink as scott said so now i bring paint pens and paint pens are great they make a clean line and the signatures tend to be cool especially if you get like metallic paint pens however they're going to take like one to two minutes to dry so you're going to have to figure out a way to talk to people to hold the page open to do whatever and make sure that that paint doesn't smear when they close the book Um, And then that brings us to the final thing, which is more of a Keith personal preference. But I think it's helpful to know. I bring a black tablecloth everywhere I go. And that is because I like the look of black as it relates to all of my shit. Because if you don't bring a tablecloth, black, white, gray, whatever damn color you want. You want it red, make it red. If you don't bring a tablecloth to cover everything on your table so that you can lay your books out then you're at the mercy of whatever the tablecloth trimming is for that show. So like Emerald City, it's all green. And I don't know if that's by accident or not, but it's Seattle, it's Emerald City, and the table things are green, and I think it's hideous looking. So for me, like, (laughs) I am super happy to throw my black tablecloth over that green tablecloth and just make sure that it fits the vibe I want. And a lot of cases, it's these little things about your vibe that can go such a long way in having a nice table, having a nice presentation that just may be the difference between someone stopping at your table and not.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have a couple of different color tablecloths. I do have a black one that's used primarily. But um, when I do have access of space, I have like a yellow tablecloth, which I think is it sticks out because it's different. It's way different than all of the other colors that other people have. And I actually have like this Japanese, um, like samurai pattern tablecloth that I have as well, that I'll bust out from time to time. It's just cool looking and different. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's just a matter of, again, just trying to stand out, uh, you know, from everyone else.
0: Yeah. So let's, let's take, let you take a shot at this. This is the third question. Now, what's something you forgot to bring that you wish you had? more beer
1: um (laughs) me and keith have been doing this a while so but for me (laughs) always more beer um for me there's there is not a show that goes by that i remember everything and this is going to happen to you unless you just happen to keep everything in one bag and you never you never mix yeah. you never mix it up you never take anything out you just restock your stuff whatever's in this bag and then you just put everything back in there and then that's the bag that you take to shows. There's always something that I forget. It's like oh man I forgot my sketch pad I forgot my inkwell I forgot my brushes yeah. you know yeah. and and it's usually for me it tends to be art supplies. That's the thing that I usually forget. It's it's one of those things. Like, one show, I forgot Sharpies. I was like, dude, how did I forget Sharpies? I have a giant bag that has, like, 50 of them in it, and I managed to forget that whole bag. I have no Sharpies. Um, And that was at San Diego Comic-Con. Luckily, the guy next to us was cool enough. He had four Sharpies. He let us have one. And um, so that's just something that's going to happen. You're always going to forget something. Um, One show, I forgot to get change. And luckily, everyone was paying with the exact cash amount or they were using their credit cards. And then it just so happened that I built up a bank, you know, and that's that's what your stack of cash is. It's called. It's called a bank. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's really important. So every show, you're going to forget something. Let's just try to minimize it. Have a checklist. Um, Every show that you do, if you have that checklist, you'll be able to go through it and make sure that you've gotten everything. And that's something I haven't
0: done. And I've been doing this for nine years now. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's important. I I think for me, I'm going to give sort of two answers because now I've learned from my mistakes. Once something you forgot to bring that you wish you had, I say a great investment for you is to bring a like thermos, a mug, an insulated mug, whatever you want, because almost every convention center in the world now Has a area where you can refill water, Mm -hmm. you are going to save a shit ton of money because you're going to want water and you're just going to be able to walk away from your booth, fill it up at one of those sensor related places with water, and then you don't have to pay for fucking bottled water, which paying for bottled water is bad enough. Paying for it at a convention center just makes you feel like the biggest idiot on the planet. Oh, they're going to hose you. Yeah, exactly. But I I think to Scott's point, I'm going to echo that. I have this personal phrase that I've been using for 20 years called a stupid tax. You're buying something because you're stupid and you fucked up. Mm -hmm. Now, that's my own sense of humor. (laughs) But but I I think it's important to understand that, like, it's just going to happen, man. Even with a checklist, you're going to forget stuff or even more to Scott's point. You're going to have a checklist. You're not going to forget anything. But something that's super critical for you to do throughout a show is evaluate. Scott's talked about this before, too. Evaluate what's working and what's not. What are people responding to? What aren't they responding to? Did you have some big shit idea for the way your booth's going to go and nobody's paying attention to it? So you're going to have to think on the fly. You're going to have to observe people's behavior and figure out, is there a way, even if whether you're doing well or whether you're not doing well, is there a way that you can tweak your booth to make it even better? And that's the kind of stuff that tends to happen a lot on the first day. And then after that, it settles in. You know, I've I always have had the adage, especially since conventions usually start on a Thursday or Friday. If I get through the end of the first day with a couple bucks in my pocket and a great idea of how my booth is supposed to look, I'm feeling real good. So I'd say you might need to spend money sometimes because so for example, I had this print that, that I wanted to display and I'm like, I really think I should display this. Well, guess what? I needed to end up buying a stand and I had to buy an acrylic holder so that the print didn't sag. So you take the print, you put it in the acrylic holder, you put it on the stand. I just paid for both of those things but now I have a better booth and people's eyes go to it. So again, allow yourself the ability to either make a mistake or understand that you're going to have to adjust to something that you had no idea was going to happen beforehand.
1: Yeah, and, and shows are different. So every show you do is going to be different than the one you did prior. So some some shows are comic shows. Some shows are print shows. Some shows are original art shows. And mm-hmm. the print shows and the original art shows tend to be usually the same show um so you just have to be prepared for that that's something that you're going to have to observe while you're doing the show okay what's working for me what's working for everyone around me okay my books aren't selling as much but my prints seem to be selling pretty well Mm -hmm. so it's you know for me personally like it kind of sucks because i'm there to sell the books but i also have the prints just in case we run into this kind of problem so just be aware of that too when you're doing these shows and um something else that that you know, did you mention looking at other people's booths as well that's working for them? Or did you just. I didn't, but that's a good oh, okay. point. Yeah. So, um, something that I started to do in my earlier years was I just had a basic setup. I had the books, I had them, I think, flat on the table. And I had an art portfolio uh, that you could flip through and check out the original art pages. And that was pretty much it. That's all I had on the table. And I noticed, like, watching other people around me. I was like, what's working for their, like I see that booth is getting a lot of action. Why is that booth getting so much action over there? And you just observe what, how they have their stuff displayed, um, what their stuff looks like. It's just like, okay, well the, that art quality is the same art quality as mine. Um, but they're getting so much more attention. What are they doing differently? Oh, they have this, they have that. Uh, Another thing I recommend doing, having price tags on everything. So your comic hopefully will have the cover price right on there, so that won't be an issue. Um, But if you have like a bundle pack you're doing, you're selling, you know, hey, if you pick up this book in this print, it'll be this much. Make sure you have something out there that has your prices on it. You know, there are fans that are complete introverts and they want to have as little conversation with you as possible and that's not to say they don't want your product. They just don't like to talk to anyone because yeah, they don't like talking to anyone. So make sure you have prices out there. So that really limits the interaction that you have to do with those particular fans, because that's not what they're looking for. They're just looking to yep. purchase something from you. And uh, that's one of the best ways to do it.
0: Yeah, there's also plenty of extroverts that simply don't want to talk price. They don't want to ask you how much something is. So price lists are huge. Actually, that's something uh, that I picked up from you. You know, ever ever since we started doing this podcast, I've taken to doing Priceless, and I think it's it works great. Um, so let's go to the final question, and we're going to repurpose this. It says, what can I expect? I'm going to give you one thing that you should expect. And boy, if you go through the Making Comics archive, you're going to hear this in so many ways through so many episodes. The one thing I'll tell you to expect expect to be bored for a while. Everybody is bored for a while. So just know that you could sit around for a long time. I make the joke often that uh, there are many shows where I could have shown up two hours late to my table and not missed a single thing and left an hour early and not missed a single thing. So understand that you can have great shows. I have had great shows over this past year and I have had so much idle time at every single one of these great shows. It happens. So, and and again, if, if you want to, boy, it's going to, I can't remember the exact episode, but I just talked about this in the context of Amazing Vegas, where super famous people had limited time at Booths and still ended up leaving early because they didn't want to sit around doing nothing. So even the tippy top creators have times where they're sitting around doing nothing so walk in knowing that you're going to have a fair amount of downtime yep that's a great point yeah the and keep
1: yourself busy you know um if you're if you're an artist start drawing something you know and um you don't want to have your attention down too much like that's something that i make sure that even when I'm drawing, I'm glancing up quite a bit because there might be fans walking by. And when your eyes are down, like they might not want to stop because they might not want to disturb you. So Mm -hmm. looking up helps a lot because it it shows them that, hey, look, I'm I'm an artist. I like to draw, but I'm engaged with you in the show. And I want to make sure if you want to have a conversation, you're going to be able to. You're not going to just I'm not going to be stuck looking at my board paying attention to the world around me it's like no i'm not at home drawing i'm i'm in public drawing so you have to be aware of your surroundings you know people are going to be looking over your shoulder maybe um and maybe they want to have a conversation about what you're drawing or maybe they want to talk to you about your product that's on the table so just make sure even if you are drawing at your table that you're staying uh you're being aware of your surroundings
0: yeah and i'm going to give one bonus thing while while I am not a uh, a gambler by any means, in fact, <laughs> the proof of me not being a gambler is the fact that I went to Vegas last weekend and completely sucked. But we'll get to that and bring the bullshit. Um, however, like, you know, like anybody who's listened to any kind of gambling thing knows that they'll 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 say some kind of shit like this is my five star pick of the week. And then you listen to them next week. And you're thinking like, wow, you can't go higher than five stars. And then they're like, this is my 20 star pick of the week, <laughs> you know, and then you're like, oh shit, 20 stars, son, you know, like that kind of thing. And then you listen a week later, like, this is my 30 star pick of the week. Like, okay, asshole, you know, like, why do you keep changing the scales? But I'm prefacing that with that. I'm, I'm, I'm using that to say, I think that this is like a 20 star pick. And this, in a way, this is arguably the most important thing you can do. You need to stay positive. You need to convey positive, good vibes to every single person you talk to, man. You know, like, we know it's hard. We know it is soul darkening, (laughs) right? Like, it can be soul darkening. So go in there with the attitude that, you know, I'm going to make friends today. I'm going to have people come up and talk. And I'm going to have people talk about my book. And they may or may not buy something. They may not even care. But this goes back to that old adage of like, it takes an average of, you know, let's just say 11 impressions to go from non-buy to buy. I'm going to repeat it again. I've had people come by my booth that have said, hey, I've always meant to check this place out. This is at a show where I've been there five years And after five years, they finally decided to come by and check out my booth. So you got to understand, man, be in it for the long haul. Have a good time. Stay positive. And even if you're not in the most positive mood, by all means, give the appearance that you are positive. It's mm-hmm. going to pay dividends and nobody likes that dick that sits there and obsesses over the sales. And again, Scott has that famous person where he was sitting next to the guy and somebody came up and said, how you doing? And it had a perspective to really, really be their first sale. And like, I'd be doing better if I sold stuff. And it's like, okay, asshole, <laughs> you know, you just like cost yourself the sale. You just cost yourself the first sale by being so obsessed with it. So again, by all means, stay positive, keep that positive out- outlook. You have done something very amazing. And as long as it's good, man, people are going to come to it. They're going to flock to it. They're going to find out about it sooner or later. Yeah, definitely,
1: definitely important. You know, make sure you have that positive outlook. Just be happy, go lucky. And, you know, just talk about the show, too. Like, find something to talk about with these people. Like, once you give the sales pitch, number one, or not number one, number 20, uh, make sure you have a sales pitch. Have an elevator pitch for your book. We've talked about that a lot here on the pod. Make sure you have that five to 10 second pitch. And if they seem interested, have a little bit of a longer pitch, you know, go through a little bit more things with them, but mm-hmm. make sure you're staying positive. It's it's really important. And honestly, it'll make your day feel better. You know, like if you're just sitting there and you're grumpy and you're sad and all that, like it's not a great feeling, you know, like if if there's a show that's not going as your expectations would have it, you know, those are the breaks, kid. It happens. So but mm-hmm. make sure you're ready for it mentally and just expect you know, not expect, but just be prepared for it. You know, there there are going to be shows where things aren't going your way and things aren't selling, but there's going to be other shows where they are. So, yeah. but just be happy. Make sure you're uh, in the moment, being positive with the people. Talk to them about the show. Is there any panels that they're looking forward to seeing? You know, mm-hmm. like are they? You know, is there any anything playing? You know, like some conventions play like manga, anime, movies. You know, sneak peeks yep. and whatnot. So, make sure you're talking to them about that kind of stuff and. You know, like it'll, it'll help things along. You know, the more, the more the people like you, the more they'll be inclined to pick up your product. And if your product is good, they're going to come back for more issues.
0: Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And that is a great note to end it on. And we are just going to pivot right now into bringing dat bullshit. You got any bullshit, my dude?
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, I got a couple of things. So uh, just real quick. uh, Thanks again, Daniel Sawyer, for those show topics. We do appreciate those. And hopefully we answered your questions to the best of our ability. And Mm -hmm. uh, if there was a couple more questions, feel free to hit us up and then, uh, you know, we'll respond to you via email. Um, So my first bullshit
0: thing, Lakers are terrible. (laughs) They're so terrible. We even, somebody out there, Tim Tim Radecki, is like, you promised. You promised (laughs) two episodes that you'd stop talking about your shitty-ass basketball teams.
1: (laughs) Dude, they're so shitty. The Lakers are just so shitty. Um, We've lost three in a row. We won two, then lost three in a row. Very winnable games as well. And um, the last one, I just completely turned off in the fourth quarter. I watched about five minutes of the fourth quarter, and I'm like, okay, we're done here because mm-hmm. there the momentum was so heavily going against what they were doing that I was like oh there's no recovery for this lebron's mm-hmm. not in this game honestly he's been looking old and 80s great but he kind of has empty calories like like he'll have a 25 and 10 game and it's like <laughs> has no bearing on the results. I don't results. recall a
0: single fucking thing that
1: guy did <laughs> right yeah, like, like like look he's been he's been really good this year he's been really good but it his points just don't affect the outcome of the game it's yeah. just like yeah this is what i used to hear about you know when he was in new orleans it was just like those are empty calorie stats. Like, yeah, yeah, he has great stats, but the team doesn't win that often, you know, and, yeah. and like not watching those games, you go, well, it's because he doesn't have enough help around him. If he had more help, then it, things would be right. better. And like, honestly, that could be said about this team because this team's fucking awful. But I don't know, man, like even even when we were winning, like I would go LeBron's 25 points feel more crucial than anthony davis's 25 mm-hmm. points and and look if you guys aren't into sports you don't understand that you're like 25 points is 25 points you know it's like whatever yeah. it helps but there's something about when you're scoring those points how efficiently you're scoring those points and, and anthony davis is relatively efficient but it's just i don't know when he's scoring them it just doesn't seem to matter as much it's just like yep. Yeah, you're kind of keeping us somewhat close to the game, I guess. But there's you never get that feeling like he's going to take over and then have us win this game. Like It Mm -hmm. just never feels like that. So uh, LeBron was out the other day, and I'm like, yeah, we're losing this. And I was like, and for my mental health, I'm just going to turn this game off because there's no one else on this team that I'm like, well, I'm looking forward to seeing their growth and and like them staying with the team in the future and and whatever just seeing no i don't give a shit about anyone on the team like that not not Mm -hmm. really it's just like yeah we got like i like like uh, austin reeves is cool to watch and like lonnie skywalker is cool to watch like those are the two guys that i actually enjoy viewing on this team but besides that i don't care and Mm -hmm. like seeing them versus watching these losses not worth it. So, turned right. the game off and was just like, yeah, I I don't know, man. I'm not sacrificing any extra time for this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I'm going to go a completely different direction. And I'm going to talk about how I, I, I want to warn people. I want to warn people on b- the Barnes & Noble magazine section. Because I was just killing time before I was supposed to pick up my kid. Which ended up being not a thing. My kid... And my wife did not let me know that I didn't need to do that. So here oh. I am killing time. And I'm like, oh, it turns out I didn't need to do any of that now, did I? <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> but that's OK, because I did get a couple of things I needed or, or wanted and I think are better for me. But like, again, I'm just going to use like, let's talk about comets. OK, let's say that I'm writing a novel on comets and it involves comets. Barnes and Noble seems to have this huge abundance of these fucking like sucker magazines that are like everything you need to know about comets <laughs> and and it's like it's like some $20 glossy thing with a whole lot of fucking photos and you're like this isn't even a magazine it's like a book and it's book priced and i hate myself and i want to buy this because <laughs> you know if if you're writing a book about comets odds are you know shit about comets And your dumb ass is about to pay 20 fucking dollars for like a book, high quality magazine with a whole bunch of glossy pictures because pictures of comets are fucking cool, man. You know, like (laughs) it's the same information that you have. You know, 90 percent of this shit and you're still going to buy that. So just beware, beware of stuff like that. Like it seems like the magazine rack is just filled with that kind of shit. So, yes, I bought one. Okay, not comets it's shit related to that my, my follow-up question yeah no <laughs> not it comments. About comments nope nope i'm just i'm i'm changing names to protect the innocence of my novel but i was just like nope yeah well i gotta buy this in fact i even leaned over and i was like keith don't buy this and and i took photos of the pages that i just wanted and i was like fuck it i'm buying it anyway <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, again, most of this shit is shit I know, but it had cool pullout quotes and pictures and all this shit. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, there's probably something in here that I'm going to buy. And, you know, like $20 in the cosmic scheme, not too bad, you know, in terms of, of writing a novel or the amount of time it's going to get invested in. So anyway, yeah, I got sucked into it and I feel sort of horrible. And yet I don't, if that makes sense. So just, yeah. just beware. In fact, there were a couple other magazines I had in my hand were like, well, what about this? What about this? I'm like, whoa, 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 brother like are you are you here to spend $80 at a fucking Barnes and Noble on a couple magazines (laughs) you know so anyway no I wasn't I wasn't so I spent far less than that and uh, and walked away so anyway uh, yeah just just beware that's just a little buyer beware as we get to the holidays here because I hey writers I'm sure artists to some extent i bet you know like we like magazines we like shit yeah and you're and and we like barnes and nobles and we like bookstores and you go into bookstores and you see all this stuff and you're like oh that's cool that's a cool magazine i didn't there's a comic artists magazine out there and it was 20 bucks and it had all this cool shit and cool drawings and i was like shit i don't even draw and i think this is cool i might (laughs) buy it anyway but i didn't
1: (laughs) i did that with uh wanders there was, I was in a barn, Barnes and Noble. My girlfriend likes to read. So she was like, hey, let's go in the Barnes and Noble. I want to pick up some books. I said, okay. So I'm wandering around and I found dinosaur books. And I thought the same thing. It's like, do I really need this book? I have Google. I can just Google dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Like if I need, do I need a, you know, a carnivore? Okay, let me just Google it, you know. Um, but as I was flipping through it, there was a lot of cool shit in there. It was like, okay, you get multiple pictures of of this dinosaur, this type of dinosaur, but you get stats too, and then yeah. it shows you the scales. It's just like, oh, this is the size of a human. This is the size of that dinosaur, and it had it for every single dinosaur. I was like, well, this is cool as shit. So like, I can draw these dinosaurs to scale in wanders of Milosonde, have it a little more accurate. Hey, it's nine ninety nine. Fuck it, I'll take it. And it was a fatty. It was a fat ass book, and I was like, "Damn, I feel like I'm robbing them." You know, this is like yeah. so much cool information. So,
0: hey, I get it. I'm with you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So just you know, look, beware or don't, or just go ham. Like we're not, we're not stopping you. Just it's very, very seductive, right?
1: Uh, I have one more thing. Did you have anything else? Yeah. So, um, my girlfriend has not seen any of the Harry Potter's. So today, what? yeah today we started our harry potter marathon so we are, yeah. yeah we're 75 percent done with the uh, Sorcerer's stone first okay. one okay yeah and uh but i had to do a pod so we put it on pause she's watching whatever the heck she's watching out there and uh when we finish this i'm gonna go finish it up with that uh finish up that first step uh season not season not episode First movie. We're going to yeah, finish man. the first movie after this. Hey,
0: that's that's exciting. I think... I can't remember if I've said it on the podcast or not, but going to Scotland definitely rekindled... Oh, I think I was just talking yes. about it last week, right? Last episode. And yeah, so, yeah you were talking rekindled. about... Uh,
1: was it the Half-Blood Prince
0: or something was your favorite? Fuck yes. It's just... It's really strong, you know? And, uh, and I'm done with that, and I'm actually as promised, I'm taking a break and I'm reading something that's a little more literary cause I'm supposed to, but I am ready to get through this so I can just rock on and get into, uh, the deathly hallows, the final book. Right. Oh, really? So really excited. Again, I, I happen to, my favorite books are books three, six and seven, but yeah, man, just really killer shit. Really killer. Yeah.
1: Shit. I think she's really liking, liking it as well. Yeah. She was like, so do I have to
0: stop the movie while you do the podcast? And I was like, I would appreciate it. <laughs> hey, yo, Hey, yo, <laughs> right? Like, uh, this like yeah of course you do right um and i will say like to promote to cross pollinate with with gary hodge's podcast um the home stretch i would say check out my episode there because i have a hot take related to harry potter and uh why don't you go find out what it is right now i'm not going to repeat it here right on so i'm gonna i hey, we're gonna get a little weird for this final one i had an interesting dream and, and the dream... It, it was, was all a dream. It was all a dream. So uh, I, <laughs> I got introduced as the new member of Run DMC. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Wasn't that fascinating? And so it was like, all I know is that it was a press conference, but the press conference was somehow in a classroom with, like, wooden desks and, the, and that kind of wooden desk that had, like, a, a bulb on the bottom where you put your books under the actual desk surface, and I'm okay. just sitting there with Daryl McDaniels and Reverend Run, and they're talking about how they're really excited to bring me on as the new member of Run DMC, and then I look in the back, and I'm thinking, like, well, what about Jam Master Jay, but he was right there, he was right there, and with a bunch of kids, with a bunch of, like, eight-year-old kids. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so uh so yeah i just i just thought that was really strange and uh, and delightful and all that shit so yeah man i mean i and, and it made me think it made me think of the fact that like that is probably my second favorite Musical dream. I've had a ton of musical dreams. There was one musical dream where I was called upon at the last minute to be the bassist for Kiss, but I didn't know any of the bass lines. So I just had to play (laughs) along to all the bass and like improvise in front of, you know, 30,000 people or whatever. So that was a fun one. But um, now's a good time. I mean, I might as well mention this. My favorite dream involving a mu- musical figure ever right it it's time it's time to kind of like go rarebit fiends and just talk about this dream because I, I I love it I'm in an office okay I'm in like a typical office kind of setting like the office or like corporate world anything like that and I'm sitting at my cubicle and there is a there's a glass office in the middle but it's all like blocked off. It's all shades and stuff like that. So you have no idea what's going on there, but it's in the middle of the floor. So windows into the rest of the offices, but not windows anywhere else. It's in the fucking middle of the floor. Right. And I hear this big old loud, like bass wave music coming. And I'm just like, wow, that's that's really strange. Right. Like, or whatever you're thinking in terms of a dream. So at some point I end up going in the office and inside the office, Behind, So, first of all, the office is really nothing but a massive three-sided wall of green speakers. It's like green. It's, it's like somebody's boom car if they loved Mountain Dew. It's just nothing but subwoofers that are green. And then the person turns around from behind the desk, and it's Bono. And Bono <laughs> is sitting behind his office desk, and he's just been listening to all this music. And he asks me, would you like to get addicted to the boom? <laughs> and then I woke up. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Isn't that fucking amazing like yeah, that is that has become a family joke right like anytime any of us hear big old bass music it's just become like would you like to get addicted to the boom <laughs> so anyway <laughs> anyway great great times and i'm i'm very happy that the run dmc uh dream triggered you know it was like wow that's a great dream involving musical figures but i don't think it's my favorite it's it's impossible to knock off bono telling me about bass music <laughs> <You know>? so <laughs> Anyway, anyway, with that, uh, did you have anything else or no?
1: Yeah, um, yeah since you brought up uh, going on Gary's show, The home Homestretch, uh, I was introduced to a few guys that visit his channel and, and are on his channel quite a bit. Um, it's the Artcasters, and so I recently did a show for them. So um, last week, last week I was on Artcasters. Uh, I don't know which, I think it's uh, Josh Kimball that hosted that week. So, um, you can just type in Scott lost art casters and hopefully that'll pop up. And that was, a another interesting episode. They were really interested in the Slack method and the majority of the episode was talking about that. And it was kind of, it was fun because they were kind of asking me a lot of questions about it. Just, just scenario wise. Like, well, what if this, what if that, mm. well, would this, I don't think this would work if you worked at a, um, um you know like like a company like you know if you work for marvel or dc or something i was like actually it would you know and and so um you know we just went through the whole process and uh they were fascinated by it and they just had so many questions and there was a lot of like i want to try this but i'm hesitant because i have my own method of doing it but this actually sounds like it would help and yada 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 so yeah it was kind of fun and and um um, definitely fun, not kind of fun. It was definitely fun, yeah. and it was a good time. So look up uh, Art Casters, Scott Lost. I'm sure you'll find me.
0: There you go, man. We are we are just expanding into multimedia. So now you have video places that you can watch us as well. So. All right, man. Hey, with that, you can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore invader. I post, you know, four or five times a week and I'm doing all kinds of stuff. I'm posting quotes. I'm posting references to this podcast. Of course, I'm posting art from the books that I do, some books that I like, etc. And then uh, with much less frequency, I am at Kadoja Kaiju, all one word. And that is all giant monsters all the time.
1: And you can find me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram, S E O T T L O S T, and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost.
0: Hey, for websites, I got a one-stop shop, party people. It is KeithRFoster.com. You can read about Kadoja, which is giant monsters meet H.P. Lovecraft. Or you can read a little bit about Three Protectors, which is Kung Fu in space. And, of course, you can buy those things. So, hey, check that stuff out. If you're not up to date on all my properties, now's a great time to do it. Uh, same with me one stop
1: shop accidentalaliens.com go to that page you can get second shift to tell minimum wage workers during the day and superheroes at night and wanders of melisanda anthropomorphic dinosaurs versus humans all at accidentalaliens.com easy way to find that if you don't feel like typing all that in go to my social medias Instagram Twitter whatever the link is in those bios so click it pick them up check out I'll send you some books
0: Hell yeah, hell yeah And you know, those of you with excellent memories will recall That I just gave you my Vegas 20-star pick of the week When it came to tabling at conventions And so you might ask Dear amazing benefactors of knowledge Is there anything a humble listener like me can do To repay your 20-star advice? And the answer is, of course. In fact, we're not even asking for for like-for-like repayment. We're just asking for 25% like, right? We're just asking for a quarter of the 20-star advice that we have given you. (laughs) And so those of you who are, in fact, advanced mathematicians will know that a quarter of 20 just happens to be five stars, motherfucker. Because that's what you can do. You can go to Apple Podcasts and you can throw us five stars. You can go to Spotify. Spotify. You can throw us five stars. You can try to give us more. We encourage it. Give us six. Give us seven. Tell Apple that you want this shit to go to eight or 11. We don't care, right? Max it out. Max it out. You deserve it. <laughs> show your love.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to be like Daniel Sawyer and get your your uh, show questions on the air, Hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com and we will talk about what you want us to talk about. And if we have not talked about it and, uh, you know, it's worth the topic subject, we will use it. And uh, yeah, makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. I'm not as clever as Keith right now because the booze is really hitting me and I'm feeling
0: <laughs> And I'm operating on a goddamn 165 power rating, so I'm just. Woo! I'm throwing heat. I'm throwing heat, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With that, uh, hey, we made it through another week, and uh, and we hope you enjoyed your time. We know we enjoyed our time. So, uh, so hey, man, we'll see you next Monday. Okay, uh, be here, and and we'll be here. That's it for me. Yeah, hey, hey. yeah.